0: In a world where economic coercion and social marginalization are reimagined by mining magnets as self-determination, one bear and one lady have their hard hats on, ready to take a pickaxe to this mountain of bullshit. And your heart, it's Knackers and the Vatch.
1: Hello outcast, hello comrade, hello to the grump who has come to accept that life is a struggle not only with the self but with human history. You are listening to knackers, knackers, knackers and the vag, vag, vag. Unfortunately, my survival compels me to do a boring thing. Patreon.com forward slash Helen Razor. That's Razor with an A. Give me some money for one dollar. You can save the life of a plush toy, Uh, he's called Knackers, I being a lady, am the vag, and encourage uh, and and foster. Oh, intelligent, leftist, revolutionary discourse on the internet. I do hate the word discourse, what I don't hate. In fact, I'm going to be honest because I had a champagne with my luncheon kind of revere this man as a bit of a mentor, or maybe not a mentor, maybe more like a bloke that tells me when I'm not thinking clearly and a man who has told an entire nation that it's not thinking clearly and it hasn't been thinking clearly for 231 years, although he hasn't been alive for that long. I think it has been about Professor Gary Foley. About 45 years you've been arcing up in uh, one forum or another. I
0: think it's more like 50, but we won't quibble about that.
1: We we, we shan't. So very soon the golden anniversary of you being um, a shit stirrer. A, sh- a shit stirrer in various guises. Um, your latest iteration is that you're actually an academic shit stirrer, but this was not always the case. Hopefully you won't get so bored that you just evacuate and we can go through those. Can I talk to you about actually the first time you kind of came to a wide national attention in Australia, which was by a journalist. Uh, It was Gus Brito, I believe, who wrote in the publication The Australian, and he both advanced, uh, I guess what you, you, you had nothing to do with this, but advanced the case for you being something of a legend to be feared. But it was the first really significant piece of journalism about you in Australia. That that's a fair assessment, right?
0: Um, yeah, and it. But it wasn't in the Australian. It was in the Sydney Daily Mirror. Oh, okay. Um, and ironically, Gus Gustabredo was a, a South African, um, a non-black South African, and um, he and I actually after. We had that encounter uh, whereby he wrote that article about me or profile of me, big double-page spread with a big um, graphic black fist in the middle of it, giant headlines, black power. So there, was,
1: there was the black power symbol yeah. printed without yeah. necessarily without critique in the newspaper in what, 1972? When
0: 1972. It? And, um, I mean, it was interesting because he... Became a very close friend of mine. The other thing about that article was that that was the first ever public appearance of what is now known as the Aboriginal flag. Um, a few weeks earlier uh, than I met up with Gusta Brito, uh, I had been in Adelaide uh, at a demonstration, uh, after which um, I adjourned to a bloke called Harold Thomas's house in the suburbs of Adelaide. Harold was a close friend of mine at the time. He was an artist, and he was working at the uh, Adelaide Museum. And after, the, um, after that particular rally, which was in support of a man called uh, Lionel Brockman, but that's another story, um, we adjourned back to Harold's place uh, with two slabs of VB and um, proceeded as we drank the VB to lament the fact that there was no a uh, real symbol for the emerging, at the time, Aboriginal land rights movement, the uh, which was the thing that was happening in throughout 1971. And so Harold and I decided that we would come up with something, and Harold, being the artist, whipped out his uh, uh, artist materials and started fiddling with designs, and the end result was a design that... Uh, I brought back to Sydney uh, and showed it to the Black Power Movement that I was involved in in Redfern at the time. And the first public appearance of that, um, that design was in that article in the Daily Mirror in, um, in 1972.
1: For Australian listeners, you might know um, the name Debrito. Gus had a son, Sam, who is also now uh, dead, passed away a couple of years ago. And Sam was a bit of a prick, but in a good way, right? It was grappling for the truth. And uh, I've spoken uh, in the show notes, if I remember, I'll, um, you know, send an ob- ob- obituary out to you that I wrote about Sam at the time uh, with Gary's approval as, as well. Um, for a mainstream white journalist, like within those very narrow parameters, Sam was always informed by the idea that he was living on Aboriginal land, and you don't you don't see a lot of that. If you heard uh, us talk here on Nackers in the Veg to Tarnine Onus Williams, she makes a very powerful case for you, you, if you are residing in this territory that's commonly referred to as Australia, if your feet are on the ground, this is something that must be. If you are a person who thinks you know, that they're interested in social justice, that that must be a central concern. Now, Tarnine is directly influenced by your thought, Gary, by her own admission or by their own admission rather. Sorry, Tarnine, you already asked me to uh, refer to you as they. How did that get lost? How did this, you know, we had this idea um, particularly, you know, white Western people have this idea that history just gets better and better and things are progressing more and more. But when I look at what you did in the early 1970s and the sorts of people that you paired up with, you know, that you had understandings with, this would include the Builders' Laborers' Federation, you got turned into a feminist man in the early 1970s as well.
0: Some would argue otherwise, but yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
1: You spoke publicly about rights for what we now call queer people. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that stuff.
0: It all made it all made sense to us in that era, that particular period in Australian history. You know, um, the major trade union at the time in 1972, when we set up the Aboriginal Embassy, which was the most effective uh, Aboriginal protest of the entire 20th century. Uh, we had some strong support from certain trade unions in New South Wales, the Wharfies um, and the New South Wales Builders Laborist Federation at the time.
1: Jack Mundy's. And, well, it was Jack Mundy, Bob yeah. Pringle
0: and uh, Joe Owens. They were the three key people in the union at the time. Um, and and partly through them and partly through the influence of the Wharfies on one of my mentors, Chicka Dixon, we were very conscious uh you know, as I in my late teens and early twenties, as we we were developing our political awareness, we were very aware of um, the sort of parallel struggle for the rights of the workers and the working class in Australia, and coinciding with that, with the emerging uh, feminist movement of the period, and the very embryonic stages of the of the the so-called gay liberation struggle in that period. And you know there was also uh, international issues. What it, like what was about to happen in Chile, where um, where Allende got uh, overthrown by uh, Pinochet under in a CIA coup.
1: Do you see any parallels? Sorry to disturb your line of thought, but do you see any parallels between the the Pinochet um, led regime, where actually you might be interested to know if you you don't already uh, so called neoliberalism was was tested out after the um, overthrow of Allende and after the murder of, I think, up to 5,000 hmm. people um, with the US-backed coup. Do you see... You it's clear. To, There's clear
0: to, parallels in Australia with the overthrow of Whitlam by the CIA, you know. It was pretty much the same deal. Only The only difference in my mind was what happened in, in Chile was that uh, there was a, a significant resistance that was mounted which resulted in... You know, thousands of uh, people being murdered, but within us in Australia, when the what you know, when the CIA did essentially the same thing.
1: So you you genuinely feel that this, you know, hypothesis, you you were close. Well, I to the cite action. as
0: one of my sources none other than Margaret Whitlam, who said late in life, publicly in mainstream Australian media, that she believed that the CIA had been involved. The reason I believe that Whitlam uh, was too wishy-washy about it was because he was a lawyer, and what else can you expect from lawyers in this sort of society? Uh, And numerous other people have hypothesized about what happened in 1975. The most significant and authoritative, in my opinion, is Christopher Boyce, who said um, "You at Way back at the time when he got sent sent to thirty five years in a, in jail in America, he always argued that uh, the thing that motivated him was the CIA interference in Australian politics, which led into the demise of Whitlam. And then when he came out of jail, uh, you know, after thirty years or so, he still maintained that, uh, and he told the story in much more detail once he was out of jail of uh, how he believed that the the CIA was involved in the um, undermining of the Whitlam government and the ultimate uh, uh, demise of the Whitlam government. And Christopher Boyce himself always said that within um, the organisation that he was working for, that was a CIA um, uh, organisation, he said that, you know, the CIA operatives there always referred to John Kerr as their man in Canberra, you know. So I think that there's significant evidence there to uh, believe anyone who's got a who's a thinker rather than a drinker anyone who's a, who can sort of is capable of any sort of analytical thought there is sufficient evidence to believe that that's what happened in Australia so anyway. at the
1: very least we can say that um, the Whitlam government and let's not ideal them uh, idealize them for a second
0: how are we idealize them by simply saying that they got overthrown by the CIA the CIA saw the Whitlam government regardless of yeah. you know idealization the the CIA saw the Whitlam government as a threat to american interests because whitlam had said at one point that he was considering closing down pine gap yeah. you know it's got nothing to do with idealizing whitlam or the whitlam I government understand. i still I argue that whitlam very- i still argue that whitlam was one of the best prime ministers ever australia ever had in my lifetime but the whitlam government also fucked over the aboriginal people in the Aboriginal movement. So, you know, it's not about idealising anyone.
1: We'll talk about the disappointments uh, uh, offered over time uh, by the the Labor Party. But I just wanted to make that point because in this current era, a lot of people believe that to take a political position is to be opposed to Trump. And they're satisfied with that. Uh, And so... You know, for all of the, uh, the wishy-washy stuff you see in, in mainstream liberal press now about we're not binary thinkers, being binary is terrible, it's, it's very much a case of, you know, there's this question posed, which side are you on? And those two sides are, are essentially defined by, you know, contemporary mainstream politics and contemporary mainstream media. You're either a neoliberal progressive who doesn't mind you know, little tolerance likes that idea or mm. or you're a neoliberal, hard right, out and out racist. And so increasingly, and this was not the case in the 1970s where the world for various reasons was undergoing this surprising shift, I see a lot of people just sort of accept the background of authority and they, you know, there's just there's one side of a coin and then there's its obverse and you're either for Hillary or you're for Trump, or you vote for Labor or you vote for Liberal, and the press very much yes, and increasingly reflect these two positions. That there's nothing more than that. So I just I just want to be careful. And
0: Australia has always been. It's always been said that Australia is a nation of sheep, and that remains the situation to this day. You know, yeah. most Australians are completely and absolutely ignorant of their own history, of world history, of any sort of history whatsoever, they get fed all of this uh, trivia and nonsense through uh, uh, tabloid uh, media in Australia that's owned by and one I'm, person I'm sorry, also, and also, they get also, fed also, rubbish.
1: Yeah, and also non-tabloid media as well. Well, you know,
0: the, the, I mean, you know, Sky News is is, is, watched- is Murdoch's attempt to introduce Fox News into Australia. But I mean, all watched- of this goes without saying. Have
1: you watched the ABC News recently? Have you seen the coverage on...
0: I stopped watching ABC News about 20 years ago, I mean, when it started to go wonky itself. I mean, you know, the mainstream media in Australia is not where Australians should be getting their primary sources of information from, and yet 99% of Australians, that's where they get their source of information. So it inevitably results in Australians being, as I said, a nation of sheep and basically a nation of ignoramuses when it comes to having any sort of understanding and analysis of their own history or what's going on around them.
1: You're probably aware that, I mean, you know, yes, of course, people are uh, 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 impacted by mainstream media conversation. But increasingly, from what I've seen over, you know, Gallup polls and uh, essential polls and what have you, uh, Australians simply, like most people in Anglophone nations, they don't trust media to, they understand that most media is tied to a particular bias.
0: I don't believe that most Australians think that at all. Uh,
1: this is what the, I, I don't know, but this is what polls indicate. That I don't
0: believe polls either, but go on.
1: Sure. I, I agree with you, but just as a person who has provided, you know, media content, people just think they, they, they can't I don't really believe that
0: Australians are suspicious of the mainstream media, otherwise they wouldn't consume it in the way in which they do. They can say anything they like to pollsters, and polls are usually got uh, right. such tiny you know samples anyway. Like, you know,
1: I don't like correcting you, but when you talk about Australians consuming media, I mean, you and I both know that the circulation of your News Corp publications and your Fairfax publications is right down. Is what? Is right down. The circulation it of the matter. is they, right down. The
0: people who take notice of them are the people in power. That's all they need to address their their opinions to. They don't give a stuff about the, what the majority of Australians think. And with 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 Sky News being in ubiquitous in everywhere you go, going to a railway station, going to any TAB, going to any Mm. airport, going to any public place in Australia and there's Sky News, you know. Yeah, and it is,
1: I mean, Rupert Murdoch has has hardly been shy about, you know, his urge to have Sky News and and various other of his, you know, perhaps unprofitable media uh, setting the political agenda. Um, particularly in Australia, which is something that he can't let go. I mean, he had so many deals with train stations and what have you and from what I hear, this is not substantiated. <laughs> yeah, TAB.
0: Oh, I saw you in a TAB the other day. did I'm only joking, folks.
1: <laughs> no, I gamble online. Um, you, you know, he really wants Sky News to be available free to air. This is what I hear. Like, you know, like a lot of media moguls, he's driven to – Deliver ideology to the people, and you know. Love. But I
0: think it's true that I think it's true that that too many people in this town, Melbourne, uh, get a lot of their day-to-day information from the Herald Scum. Uh, sorry, the Herald Sun newspaper. Far too many people uh, in this town and beyond seem to think that Andrew Bolt is, uh, you know. Uh, one of the great intellectuals in Australia, and they listen to him and they take notice of people like Alan Jones and John Laws when he was around and, um, you know, all of these yeah. other people. And and so what I'm talking about is probably not so much the propagators of, of this right-wing nonsense but the consumers. I mean, you know, Australians, uh, to me, seem to be too many, seem to be... Uh, woefully ignorant in terms of their own understanding and political analysis.
1: I just want to take it a little bit further, though, and say Mm -hmm. that I I find that a lot of the stuff that is promulgated by, uh, you know, incorrectly perceived as left-wing publications like The Guardian or uh, outlets... Or The Monthly or The Saturday Paper. Yes, yeah, yeah. You know, all all of these organisations which are perceived as progressive are not, in fact, particularly when we compare what we were talking about before, which is the period of the early 1970s, I mean, Mm this sort of a period where, you know, today a young, you know, what they would call social justice warrior would look upon that period and regard you all as utopian. Mm-hmm. Um, and now people are very, they consider themselves to be very practical and it, overwhelmingly there is a, a larger number of people who promul, promulgate the idea of reform rather than revolution. You know, it's just, you know, people are convinced that incremental change is the only thing that will work even as the world is crumbling around them like let's restore these crumbling institutions so you know well, I, have- I think
0: i think a significant part of that has to do with social media and the emergence in the last 20 or 30 years of uh, the internet and social media and facebook and um, all these sort of things I mean, everybody who wants to be can uh, be a media star if they want to just go yeah. make a Facebook but, page. But the thing is... And um, it trivialises a lot of the really important issues, see, I this, think.
1: This is where we see where my friend, uh, Professor Gary Foley, is a complete elitist.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> <I> mean, I'm <laughs> media, a professor.
1: <laughs> media is democratised and that's not good for him. Um, I do want to talk- I'm one of
0: the I'm one of the leaders in this democratisation of the media. I'm, I had the first and the oldest... Uh, Aboriginal website in the world. Which has gone a lot longer well, Curi the time before most websites existed. Yeah. You know, which I created. I did that entire thing myself. I know it's I a, know a little bit about
1: uh, uh isn't it? Well that's
0: the first one. That's the original one. There's a new one now called Guriweb.org, you know, yes. which is it's me upgrading resource. it's which is me upgrading my um, HTML skills yeah, and there's other do- there's, doc-
1: there's documents um, on that website available to the interested uh, person, the interested scholar, going back to uh, 1787 from memory. Um,
0: there's probably stuff on there that goes back to the advent of the printing press.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, uh, the Western advent of the printing <laughs> going back to Gutenberg. Yeah, Gutenberg, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, so- I'm sorry. I'm an infinitely distractible person. No. Uh, I'm also path dependent, so I'm going to follow this line of thinking. So... You've just introduced, you, you know, you've problematized what I think in uh, in two ways. One, you say that um, you know social media has created a bit of a mess, and the other is that you are particularly focused on uh, you, you, the false intellectualism of people like you know your Andrew Bolt or your Sam Harris or your or your Jordan Peterson, for example. These these right wing people who appear as though they give a reasonable appearance of education and authority but are actually just sort of recrudescing but of, I, of I, forms of hatred. But
0: I also agree with you in terms of um, whilst you've got all of that uh, right-wing media out there, I think far a far greater problem mm-hmm. are those uh, pseudo-social progressive publications that like to think of themselves as progressive uh, such as the Saturday Paper, such as the Monthly, such as uh, publications like that, which give acres of space to all sorts of, in, especially in terms of Aboriginal uh, stuff, to the extreme right wing of the Aboriginal political yeah, movement. Why people is, such as Noel Pearson. Why are, you know, no, why po- you Noel in- Pearson and others already get uh, ample, more than ample space in the publications of Murdoch, the Australian newspaper in particular, uh, and on Sky News after dark and all these sort of places, and yet somehow or other uh, a media outlet such as uh, Swartz Media seems to think that uh, it's a good thing for them to give even more space, which creates a situation whereby the extreme right wing of Aboriginal Australian politics has effectively... Uh, in real terms, um, a monopoly over the opinion that is getting out there to Australians about what's going on in Aboriginal politics. And that can only, only be unhelpful and unhealthy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Why do people like Noel Pearson, okay, so these are not people in identical categories, and the difference between uh, Noel Pearson as a thinker and, say, Jacinta Price as a thinker is immense. Noel Pearson, I believe, has has actually read the bullshit texts that inform his thought, whereas I don't think Jacinta has. Um, but why is it people like Warren Mundine, uh, Marsha Langton, un- unevenly depending on where she stands, um, uh, a- 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 and Jacinta Price, who basically promote this idea of like, well. Y- Stan Grant, too, indeed. I uh, understand you didn't very much enjoy Stan's quarterly essay.
0: Um, I'm not going to single out individuals here, but what I would say... I thought what I, would say, what I would say is that people such as some of those you've mentioned uh, have prominence because it suits the interests of certain uh, groups within the Australian uh, society who have vast amounts of money to enable these people to have a voice. Mm. And in particular, I'm thinking of the mining industry. Mm. It suits their purposes to have some people, um, you know, uh, being effectively mouthpieces for the mining industry. Uh, others, you know, I mean, the the white powers that be in Australia have always looked for their little Uncle Toms or native police that they can present to the Australian public as the the real voice of the Aboriginal people in order to exclude and suppress the the real opinions of the vast majority of Aboriginal people. And that's what we're seeing constantly. And as I was saying a moment ago, the only thing that really disappoints me is, I mean, I understand that uh, certain right-wing media in Australia have a vested interest in presenting these people. But what... What perplexes and and upsets me is when those areas of the mainstream Australian media that like to be seen as and like to consider themselves to be what they think is the progressive uh, alternative to the right-wing media in Australia, when they Mm. also uh, create the same sort of uh, opportunities for the same people to have spaces in their media, then effectively... There becomes a monopoly of right wing Aboriginal yeah. thought, you know. And,
1: and what occurs as a result is that there's an appearance of debate. Mm. You know, my view is that, it, you, you know, I mean, people are terrified of the notion of China. They're not always entirely sure why, but people in the West are terrified of the notion of China. And one of the reasons that they cite is that it's a one party state. In my view, Australia is also a one party state.
0: Mm-hmm, effectively, yes.
1: And what the current so-called debate uh, performs or convinces people exists is the appearance of debate and there is no better example of there basically being a bipartisan agreement that, well, okay, it's fine that there's power You know, it's fine that there's concentrated power and it's fine that we have this particular political system, but let's not shake it. Let's just, you know, differentiate ourselves. We're progressive. We don't mind people of colour. We believe that all sorts of stories should be told and we very much attach ourselves to this idea of what the right would call political correctness gone mad. So you get one group of people very broadly saying, it's, pro- it's political, uh, the right-wing saying, you know, it's political correctness gone mad and the so-called left-wing saying, well, what we need is uh, more political correctness, you know, and, and, but they're arguing essentially. They're arguing liberalism. They're arguing capitalism. They're arguing for the continuation of what we might call, you know, the, the colonial settler white unconscious and there's very little, Scope within that appearance of debate. And I mean, this is one of the reasons that, you know, I sought you out and nagged you for months for an interview because you have always been, you know, in Silicon Valley, they use all this language like disruptor. For me, you have always been a disruptor, you know, and you've always said, well, here's this other view, you fuckers. Here's this other view. And you've always, are you laughing at me?
0: No, I just burped. Oh,
1: okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I well I mean part of that problem part of the problem of that is is that okay, I may well have been a disruptor, but But um, you still
1: are, right? I've been I to mean, your lectures for first years. You still yeah, you still but, get them by the ears and fucking shake them yeah, and say
0: thirty at a time. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, um, um, I am but a voice in the wilderness. Uh, at the end of the day. I know. At the end of the day, when I'm dead, you know, within 20, 20 minutes or 20 hours or 20 days or 20 years, whichever, people have forgotten about will have forgotten about what I said. No, no, people no. People remember the Noel Pearsons of the world. Uh, people, people, Oh, uh, I mean, Bullshit,
1: bullshit, bullshit, right? What Noel Pearson. do bullshit, bullshit. No, go on. what Noel Pearson or what Warren, Warren Mundine says, although I will say that Noel Pearson has become more interesting in recent years because. He, no, he hasn't,
0: but go well, on. Well, he's
1: become unpopular. Like when, you know. Like, I mean, for me, like, you know, an Aboriginal man, that Aboriginal men don't say every day to Queensland politicians that they're see you next Tuesdays, which is the language that he used.
0: Say that again. He... Uh,
1: I don't want to say the word on, you know, this is a fucking family podcast, Gary. Um, he called a female politician this. Allegedly, she claims the C word, right? And this news was uncovered at about the same time that Pearson said that he believed that the Australian Broadcasting Corporation did not cover Aboriginal affairs in any meaningful way. And it was the first time for years that Pearson said something publicly that I thought, well, yeah, I agree with that.
0: Yes, but And, um, and,
1: and at, at that point he became unpopular and… Um,
0: for about 20 seconds… I mean, he maintained his uh, right-wing following. He maintained his right-wing base. And uh, at the end of the day, people have to remember he's a product of Joe Bajokey-Peterson. He is like Joe Bediocchi-Peterson. He's the second most famous... If
1: you're too young...
0: He's the second most famous uh, Lutheran to come out of the state of Queensland. And uh, Joe Bediocchi-Peterson, if you're too young to know this, go and look up your history and learn a bit about your own history and find out who Joe Bediocchi-Peterson was. Joe Bediocchi-Peterson was the notorious, corrupt, Lutheran Premier of Queensland for so long, and, Very the, and wait there, unfinished, and the and the, the most favourite of all the uh, apartheid uh, uh, communities that were controlled and run by the Bujokie Peterson government was uh, a place called Hopevale, which is where uh, which produced Noel Pearson. You know, Noel Pearson is a product of Lutheranism, not so much of Aboriginal Australia. You know, and people, you know, these are the sort of context. People, unless people understand the context of uh, people we talk about and the history we talk about, then they are essentially ignorant of the, of the history that we're talking about. And I'm so
1: just going to remind you he's a professor of history. Very, and, very and, big and into
0: this is why historical on, facts. this is why on, on Invasion Day this year, uh, the young group who I really admire a great deal that Taneen is part of, the Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance, a young group called WAR, very young bunch That's of people, amazing. 99% young women, um, they got 80,000 people onto the streets of Melbourne this year. And as they vehemently pointed out to all those 80,000 people on that day, the demonstration was not about changing the date of Australia Day. The The, the demonstration was about changing Australia as a nation. And the and the the precursor to that has to be all as I said to all eighty thousand people there, everyone there needs to go away and re-examine and reassess and learn a great deal more about their own history as Australians, about Australia as a nation. And at the point when Australians start to have a broader appreciation of their own history and realize that most of the stuff that they think that they know about their, their own history are lies that have been taught to them all through school, all through university, right up until now, all through media. Then, once Australians start to do that, then we can begin the process of reevaluating and and really reassessing each of our understandings of who we are and where we mm-hmm. fit into this country. And that's the only hope, real hope, for the future Aboriginal people in Australia. If that doesn't happen, then in thirty years' time, I've predicted this numerous times there will be no aboriginal people the genocide will be complete the assimilation project will have reached its logical end result and that's how urgent things are so there
1: <laughs> remind me at some point or another to perhaps expand on the notion of genocide and what you mean
0: people should come to some of my classes you know because you're not going to yeah. you're not going to pick up yeah a sort of understanding of what I'm talking about just through, you know, half an hour, hour listening to me here with no, Ellen. No, uh, you uh, need to come and learn.
1: Here on Knackers in the Badge, I do <laughs> want to point out to you that, you know, a great deal of, you know, what the professor here says is completely correct, but just between you and me, he's not listening at the moment. Um, I want to say he is, you know, history is his framework, right? I know him a bit. And I know he has been besotted with the idea of history since, you know, I mean, you became literate very young. You uh, encountered a, a kid's book of of history when you were six or seven uh, in um, the library in, in Tamworth. Tenderfield. Tenderfield, I apologise. And so you have – and and history is your Thing. academic passion. You are a scholar of history. Now, when Gary says to you, you need to understand your history, that can be quite an overwhelming thought. Um, I don't think, I'm going to suggest that he doesn't mean perhaps that you need to study it meticulously, but at least to the point where you can compare what you have heard and what you, you know, may have been communicated to you about the history of Australia. And when you compare, what you have picked up with not even alternative accounts but factual accounts of what in fact occurred, it'll, it'll shake you up. It'll shake you up in a good way. Perhaps you've already been shaken up and perhaps you know that it was... That well, you it was, don't.
0: I would suggest that people don't even need to do that. All that everyone who's listened to this needs to do is just think back and remember what you were taught about Australian history in primary school. That's all I need to say to you. Think about it. Think about what you were taught. Firstly, were you taught anything at all? And if so, what were you taught? You know? Think about that. That's all. Do that. And you will, if, you, if you've got any capacity to think, then you will realise that you know nothing about your own history. And what you may think you know is inevitably stuff that you picked up through uh, the Herald Sun newspaper Uh, Radio Two GB or Three AW, oh, or or, or, or indeed some of the liberal publications,
1: some of the liberal publications that we've been talking about, the privileged voices like Warren Mundine's, that.
0: But like I'm saying, all all that people need to do, and this is all I ever say to my students, and and I teach, I teach uh, thirteen in thirteen weeks, I can show, absolutely, to any student who's ever been in my class. Uh, how they have been lied to in their education in primary school in particular and high school and beyond, that they know nothing about what their own history, not never mind about Aboriginal history, I'm talking about their own history as Australian people, mm. you know. So think about that, folks. That's all you need to do. And if you've got any sort of intellectual capacity whatsoever, you'll realise that what I'm saying is the truth.
1: We're do we do, Professor Gary Foley. Is history mad here on Knackers and the Vag? I am indeed the Vag, a woman referred to sometimes. I must be Knackers. As, oh, no, that thing no, in that's, front of me is Knackers. Knackers the Bear. <laughs> Knackers the bear actually, I should uh, invite you to do this, Gary. Throw Knackers the Bear my way when I bang on as I inevitably do. I've been tempted, but not but, not yet. <laughs> uh, your skill is that you can, uh, uh, among many, of course, is that you can talk at a rate that rivals mine uh, and I want to say, with slightly more noble rage as well, I usually just get angry about stupid things. Gary is here to be angry about important things, like you contextualising the land on which you live. One of the things I think that we could broadly say, and this is not just media but every realm of life in a so-called, you know, developed Western nation like this one, is that people don't seem to think so much about they're very convinced of the power of ideas, right? It's like, um, and you see this a lot, uh, say, in awareness campaigns that you see on the telly, for example. Some things that I can think of include respect women and then you won't beat them up. Now, that for me is a, like don't beat up women, of course, but I mean in... You know, urging that I know that that's not going to change that impulse, and I don't necessarily think that that the the opposite of violence is respect. But nonetheless, this is what the government have decided to go go with. Like, if you don't respect uh, women, then you will beat them up, right? I mean, I've never been beaten up. I'm sure you have, Gary. And I'm I'm sure. But get to the point. Okay. And then there was another Beyond Blue campaign, right? And it was basically saying there was a Whole series of like tableaus uh, with Aboriginal people who suffered from depression and anxiety. And there were things like. Could I just
0: say something on that? Beyond Blue was a creation
1: of Jeff Kennett. Of
0: Jeff Kennett, who, when he was Premier of Victoria, created more depression than Should anyone
1: yeah. in
0: modern Australian history, you know. Absolutely. One of the great ironies of uh,
1: okay, I mean, history,
0: and in particular with Aboriginal people because of his role in closing down the high school with the biggest number of Aboriginal high school students in it during his uh, premiership, Northland Secondary College. Uh,
1: and the history of Northland Secondary College is, is a very interesting thing to to read about. You might read about it some more in the future. Who can say? Indeed. It'd be, it'd be nice. It
0: will be there. <laughs>
1: There is a book around in the moment about – I know, you guys, sometimes you email me, always welcome to email me, Helen, at uh, badhostess.com and uh, from having chats to people on Patreon and Facebook and, and whatnot, you know, a lot of people strive to have their depression placed in, um, you know, a social and political context – There is a book, um, oh, Christ, I can't remember what it was called, but it's by this bloke called Johan Hari, H-A-R-I. It's not a perfect book, like uh, especially the pseudoscientific stuff in it about how antidepressants just don't work. Hey, I'm telling you, if antidepressants fucking work for you, fucking take them. They fucking work for me, fucking. Um, But, you know, what he talks about is the neoliberal age being basically a, a cauldron for depression. And the history of what has occurred uh, in this this territory called Australia is like why the fuck wouldn't Aboriginal people be depressed? Um, and so you see on this Beyond Blue thing, it's like so it's just saying, oh, well, Aboriginal people, do, you know, they're just a group that suffers depression and there's no examination of why beyond the, the fact that, you know, there's one scene in this ad where it's like, you know, your racist idea um, or – you know, your bigotry as a white person is actually what caused this Aboriginal person's depression. And there's like a scene where somebody, uh, a white person, is getting onto a bus or something, and they decide not to sit next to the Aboriginal person. Now that is a thing that actually happens, of course. But what what occurs in in this age, right? And I want to get back to the idea of land and the idea of like how people live their lives and how people have to survive and and Stuff like that, and how we have to survive, you know, all of us, and how the and this is stuff that you talk about in your lectures, like the 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 material, the natural material. Work What's the question of this land? Right, is something that has provided you know a white middle class for a long time with a particularly nice life. That life is is withering now, but what. The institutional response or the, you know, the left liberal response is, well, if people weren't racist, then, you know, individual people weren't racist. And if individual people did change their ideas and sit next to the Aboriginal person on the bus, then everything would be okay. Now, this is not, you've never given up the fight for land rights, have you? This is not something you abandoned in the early 1970s. Ex, ex, no, I mean, ex, so I just I just want to sort of like compare the present where people are like well, you know, if you have respect for women or you have respect for aboriginal people or whatever everything will be get okay. Get to the question. How does it get okay? How does land? How does how, how does the the theft of land play into this and how does the theft of land actually originate the bad ideas? What role does land play for you? Is it, it seems to
0: be a long-established understanding in the broader Australian community that um, intergenerational trauma is a real thing. There are still uh, people whose uh, whose great-great-grandparents were in on in Gallipoli who are still traumatised by something. Yeah. the The understanding that um, uh, two or three generations down the track from the Holocaust in uh, Europe. There Are people in this community in Melbourne, uh, generations of younger Jewish people who are uh, still suffer the effects of intergenerational trauma? And they do, and, and yet, it's real. there? And yet, when Aboriginal people try and point out, well, hang on a sec. The trauma that we, as Aboriginal people, have suffered, going back much, many more generations than the Holocaust generation, whenever we try and address that issue, uh, it is dismissed, especially by the likes of uh, right-wing commentators in Australia and all this sort of stuff. And yet, it's a real thing. I mean, you know, the 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 depression and rate of suicide in Aboriginal communities continues to be uh, completely disproportionate. Aboriginal people still in this society today are the most imprisoned, incarcerated people, not only possibly in this country but possibly on earth in terms of, uh, in, in the Western world anyway, in terms of the statistics that are there. The, the, um, the, the occupation, invasion and uh, oppression of Aboriginal people didn't stop at any point yet. It continues to this day. When I come to Melbourne uh, 50 years ago, there was a big Aboriginal community in Fitzroy. They're not there anymore. When I left uh, Sydney to come to Melbourne uh, in uh, 1972, uh, there was a 35,000 Aboriginal people in Redfern in Sydney. Where are they now? There's about 500 left. What happened? Did they just all suddenly up and pack off, no. pack up and piss off? No, they didn't. There was a forced modern-day dispersal this dispersal of aboriginal people has been going on for 230 years and yet people say oh you know the, it must be really bad if somebody doesn't sit next to you in next next to you in a bus if you're aboriginal it's got, that's got nothing to do Absolutely with not. the real situation of aboriginal people and people continue there's this ongoing denialism in the australian community to this day to this moment about the deeply embedded historical racism that pervades this community in Australia. You know, you've got constant examples about it all the time. And you the know, ownership the of demonization land. The demonisation and vilification of young African kids in, in Melbourne's days, is exactly the same shit that I went through when I was 17 years old in Redfern, that young Aboriginal people were going through here in Fitzroy in, in, at the same period, you know, and, and yet... You know, whenever the issue of racism arises, like with Kerry ann Kenley or something like that, who do people, who do the media commentators run off and ask about racism? White people. What the fuck would any white person in this country know about racism? You know, they know fuck all about racism, and yet they're the ones who are always asked. And as I think that uh, lady who confronted uh, Kerry ann Kenley said, well, you know, isn't yeah, it marvellous? You know, yeah. you ask a white person about racism. What the, what the, what the hell? And so. Whilst this ongoing denialism uh, continues and whilst uh, most Australians still seem to think it's okay to do blackface and stuff, even though this right now as we speak in America is a major, yet again, an ongoing major issue where uh, large numbers, the vast majority of American people, I would suggest, now understand that blackface is just not a, not a thing you know, you can do. And yet in Australia, most people, especially in mainstream media and everybody, think it's perfectly fine and can't see the problem. So there are deeply embedded problems within this Australian community. And I just want to say one more thing about racism. The reason so many Aboriginal people are in jail today was identified 30 years ago by the World Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody. The major findings of the Royal Commission into... The major com- findings of the Royal Commission's into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody was that the reason so many Aboriginal people 30 years ago were dying in jail were because there were so many Aboriginal people in jail. Thirty years ago we were among the most well, we were the most incarcerated group in Australian society. The major recommendations of the Royal Commission were designed to stop Aboriginal people from going to jail at the numbers they were. The Royal Commission found that the the reason there were so many Aboriginal people in jail back then wasn't because Aboriginal people were any more criminal than any other part of the Australian community, but simply because of what the Royal Commission itself identified as the deeply embedded, deeply entrenched, long historical racism that pervaded the Australian criminal justice system from the coppers up to the judges. Now, today, folks, the same problem exists. 30 years after the Royal Commission, there are more Aboriginal people in jail today than there were then. So don't tell me we don't have a significant problem with deeply embedded racism within this Australian community. No matter how much... Any white person listening to this or any white commentator in this country might try and deny it.
1: And you yourself may believe that you have cleaned every last vestige of racism out of your pure white body. Okay, just between us, speaking as a white person, you probably haven't, but let's give you the benefit of the doubt. Let's you've, talk about
0: white privilege.
1: You've... you've about white privilege because I've recently been going back to that idea but first I just want to sort of tie this up and back to the struggle of land. Now the Ann Kenley thing if you're listening if you're one of the tens of people who uh, listen in a, 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 a nation that doesn't bear the name Australia um, so Ann Kenley is a person who has been around in Australian media not exactly what you call a, a journalist of great consequence on a brick. Breakfast television programme, she, you know, committed the same, uh committed to the same kind of falsehood that 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 many people have before. And that in fact mobilized what I view as the medical rape of a lot of uh young Aboriginal people, which was the NT intervention. The authors of the report, Little Children are Sacred, have since denounced the action that occurred popularly known as the uh, intervention in the Northern Territory and the idea was that, um, you know, uh, that child abuse went on at an extraordinary rate in uh, in Aboriginal communities. Now what the report said was uh, that it went on at exactly the same rate as it did in any Australian community, you know, that it wasn't a particular or an outstanding problem but this was the justification that the Howard government used um, to – motivate the army, suspend the Racial Discrimination Act. Kevin Rudd was a big supporter of it, wasn't he?
0: And the, it should be understood that uh, the Rudd government continued not only the Northern Territory intervention, but one of the particularly ardent advocates of it was uh, the then Rudd Minister for Aboriginal Affairs, uh, Jenny Macklin.
1: I believe she's called Genocide Jenny up in the Territory quite commonly. Uh,
0: and uh, one should also remember that Jenny Macklin also, as a minister, was responsible for the brutal um, um, treatment of single mothers—not just Aboriginal mothers, single mothers—in terms of the the uh, uh, the policies in terms of their welfare payments.
1: Well, that was Gillard, in fact, who actually the Gillard was the that.
0: prime minister. The minister was Jenny Macklin, mm. who uh, has an unwarranted. Um, reputation as a good person to Aboriginal people. Most Australian politicians in my lifetime who've ever regarded by the broader Australian community as having a good uh, reputation for Aboriginal people are inevitably filthy, scumbag, racist arseholes. Uh, so I,
1: I have to say, uh, you, you to put it very, very mildly, <laughs> Julie Gillard, something of a disappointment.
0: Something uh, of a disappointment. Yes, I, mean, know, I mean, you know. I mean, you know, isn't it wonderful? Incredible. For years uh, I was among people who said thought, Oh yeah Me too. Okay, let's have a It'd be good to have a female Prime Minister. So along comes yeah, a female Prime Minister and what happens? Too. And it's a, I it's... mount the same argument for those who argue that, oh, wouldn't it be good to have an Aboriginal in Parliament? We've had Aborigines in Parliament, big deal, fucking useless what they were. And if we ever we had an Aboriginal Prime Minister, they would be just as useless as what Julia Gillard was for women. So there.
1: It is very hard not to become a member of the policy class, of the ruling class, once you're in there.
0: And any fool out there who is an aspiring young law student in the hope that you may be able to do something good for society by becoming a lawyer, and any person out there who thinks that you might be able to do something good for your particular constituents, your community, by becoming Prime Minister or politician, don't be so fucking stupid.
1: Just I, I just want to say, just to get back to the idea. Uh, I'm of,
0: sorry for the highly no, that's intellectual fine. language it. here. Folks. I love it. I'm
1: actually slightly aroused, <laughs> Gary, here on Knackers in the Vatch, where I'm often slightly aroused, Gary Foley, our guest today on the podcast. Just to get back to the idea of land and just to get back to oh, the, the idea land. That's right, land. <laughs> of individual uh versus institutional racism and how, you know, the institutional racism can play out in the individual. First, I wanna Give you 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 know, return you to the idea of Kerry Ann Kenley. Now there are a lot of people with their hands up in the air, as they should, saying uh, Kerry Ann Kenley can't you know say these unsubstantiated things in a public forum about uh, you know Aboriginal people basically being irresponsible parents. All you know? of oh, that's
0: <laughs> irrelevant in terms of land. But
1: but 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 just to get back to that, like you know, and it was good that um this was the subject of critique. It was good that this was the subject of action. But, you know, everyday people in my life that I knew much angrier about Kerry-Anne Kennelly daring to say what, in fact, the Howard government, then the Rudd-Gillard, rudd given governments enacted, right? And you can be all very in a nice suburb court like Fitzroy and say, well, you know, it's dreadful that the Aboriginal people aren't still here and wouldn't it be nice if if they could be? Well when you when you when you don't pro- protest against the gentrification of that suburb which has since occurred and when you don't protest about the financial mechanisms that you know allow mining financialization loans to take place and when you don't do something about the ongoing theft of land well, then you it- fucked. Put it a bit right?
0: more concisely. If you, oh, fuck yeah. if you're somebody who owns a house in Fitzroy and you bought it in the last thirty years, then you are part of the problem. You are part of the uh, modern day dispersal of the Aboriginal people from that community, and you are living in a in a situation of white privilege. You are privileged because of dispossession of Aboriginal people that once lived there. Okay, I just that to goes speak. without saying. But I want to say something else about uh, land. I mean. Um, All these people talk about, oh, let's uh, get a new racial anti-discrimination law, all this sort of nonsense as some sort of solutions to the problems that confront Aboriginal people. The real issue for Aboriginal people in Australia, we've been saying it since, uh, well, since my grandfather, great-grandfather, was uh, a member of the first modern-day Aboriginal political organisation in the 1920s, that the real uh, need that Aboriginal people uh, have if they are to achieve any sort of... Long-term justice in this society is um, for uh, land justice for. For land rights, none of this Mickey Mouse bullshit native title thing that uh, the Keating government gave us, which is completely meaningless. You know, I keep on saying that native title is not land rights. Uh, All that's done is create a big uh, industry for white lawyers to make a fortune and has done nothing for Aboriginal people. We were talking back in the 70s about land rights, which means ownership of land. We believed back then that the only real solution uh, in the long term for Aboriginal people to ensure their survival in Australia into the future... Was for Aboriginal people to attain genuine self-determination, control of our, regain control of our own affairs. None of this Mickey Mouse bullshit, uh, uh, white politician definition of uh, self-determination, which has always been bullshit, but meaningful self-determination where we control our own affairs. We saw that the only way we could achieve that back then was through economic independence. Economic independence was the key. To genuine self-determination. We said to ourselves, well, okay, how the hell does one achieve economic independence? It's through the development of uh, economic enterprises, non-capitalist economic enterprises, whereby, which will create employment in communities, which will create, uh, generate income for communities, which then goes into a a broader community pool to enable the improvement of infrastructure in any Aboriginal community, all the rest of it. But okay, wait, if... And in order to (laughs) gain that economic independence, what's the first prerequisite that is needed? Uh, The only way you can start to strive towards economic independence is land. And that's why we were talking then about land rights. Not native title. Weren't people marching down the street in the 70s saying, native title now, they were saying land rights now. And land rights meant ownership of land, not An interest in land, which is bullshit native titles all about, ownership, so that you're then in a position to actually do something with that land in terms of the development of economic enterprise. And so that's what land rights is all about, and that's why land was then and is now the key to the future of Aboriginal Australia. But looking at the situation that exists now, I have absolutely no hope you know, in, I predict that in 20 to 30 years, there will be no Aboriginal people. The, the assimilation project will have achieved its ultimate aim and the genocide will be complete. And if you want to change that, folks, go out and educate yourselves about history and learn how the fuck fuckers can do something for us.
1: And of course, in addition to the ongoing genocide, it seems that there might be some other kind of disaster in 20 to 30 years as well. Well, there'll be no if, land
0: to be had, won't there? It? Exactly. They'll be all underwater. Like we- Do something about, do something about climate change, fact or you, we're all fucked.
1: Like human labour, human oppression, theft, privatisation of public goods, like land, kind of got us into the shit that we're in.
0: Stop voting for the Liberal Party and the Labour Party. Tweedledum and Tweedledee.
1: <tough> Greens aren't much better, doll. They really fucking aren't. You are on Knackers in the Vadge. So, white privilege. This is <laughs> something I have happened to be reading about in uh, recent times. You know, uh, Dubois, bloke, uh, uh black American bloke who wrote in the, I'm sure you do, you've read it more thoroughly than I have in the 20s and the 30s. So, he's talking. Um, do you know the bloke Adolf Reed at all? The black American socialist? I was reading his account and then reading some Dubois watch out for white people who really like Adolf Reed because he's a black socialist, good, good bloke, but usually the white people who love him aren't. Mm. <laughs> sort of twist him to, um, <clears throat> for a racist justification. But uh, so he, you know, he's um, studied Dubois. And so Dubois uh, takes this idea of the white psychological wages um, that are given to especially uh, white workers, like white working class, where they're given job titles, uh, not necessarily any greater material benefits but often psychological benefits at the expense of of black people, of black workers. Like you have these white psychological wages. They don't actually improve your material conditions but we'll give you a fancier job title and we'll give you the right and indeed the encouragement to abuse other black workers and then you'll go home. Is that... Does that inform your understanding of white privilege? I, when you talk about white privilege, are you talking about like the smugness and the and the safety that I can you know roam the streets with? Are you talking about in a a labour situation, or are you about, talking about material privilege?
0: I'm talking about probably all of them, but I'm talking about um, the unacknowledged uh, entitlement that people unwittingly have or unknowingly, that that is just there because they've got a white skin, yeah. you know that enables them to do uh, do many things and be parts of many things and being, you know that that enable them to live a comfortable uh, life in this sort of society without even being conscious uh, of the privilege that they have, that they don't even realize that people of color, are denied because mm. they are people of colour. I mean, you know, there's there's ample um, there's ample um, um, stuff written on white privilege privilege uh, out there, and you know, it's a really a question of uh, most most ordinary white people in Australian mm. society are not even conscious of uh, the 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 privilege that mm. they have just by virtue of having a white skin, and many of the people who who are the unwitting recipients of this white privilege, uh, the very ones who would argue that there's no racism in Australia sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And it's really a question of uh, people uh, becoming aware of that and then um, just by becoming aware of uh, what advantages they have in society purely because they're white skin is in itself... uh, Really important thing for them to you know start thinking about because it then begins the path towards some at least, at least some level of enlightenment about you know what the real nature of this sort of society
1: is. I just want to say though, I mean, the I find that sort of the Dubois origins of the concept of privilege, which is now a very popular and with many people, especially people who write for and read or consume the sorts of publications and media outlets that we're talking about, that, you know, the idea of privilege is just uncritically accepted. Um, And, you know, this idea of now, like, it's a popular phrase, check your privilege.
0: I don't know whether it's accepted, but... No, I
1: mean, within a certain coterie of of persons, this idea is... Minuscule. Yeah, but it's still... Okay, minuscule but you'll still hear it. But
0: I'm talking about the okay, broader populace yeah, okay, gaining some right, level of Gary, come on. You'll, appreciation. Still, you'll
1: still see something like the concept of privilege, mm. of male privilege or white privilege discussed in a place like the New York Times. There's, you know, several yeah, huge feature articles on not it. Not
0: a lot of people who I know out there in mainstream Australia read the New York Times, only me and a couple others. Well,
1: it's a piece of shit so why would you? Yeah. But, um, but we're
0: still talking about – yeah, go on.
1: Okay. I just want to say that it's a not uh, for me, right? Obviously defer to your greater understanding. I don't think it's a one size fits many concept. And when I asked you before, when you say white privilege, do you mean um the I mean
0: the concept of white privilege as argued at the moment out there in the academy.
1: Okay. So you're talking about the um uh, you you you're talking about the the sort of the intellectual debate about it. I mean I guess you know this is your profession now. You inhabit um, <laughs> academia, um, whereas I still try to write for popular press to make a living. Yes, but I mean, and I would say your
0: your reference to white privilege and your sort of citing there is not what I uh, regard as the the current debates and arguments about it.
1: Okay, well, tell me what you what you think it means because I think there's different things. I mean, because you would, and I, I know because I've discussed this with you as I've discussed this with your colleague, T- Tony Birch, right, um, that there are white people, for example, who are facing real or imagined um, diminution of their material wealth and this is especially… Even
0: those are far more privileged than any black person because they may have a minimum of material wealth, but they've got the privilege of a white skin. That gives them entry to all sorts of things that even the richest black person don't.
1: I, I understand that. I, I mean, I absolutely do, and it would be ludicrous uh, to argue against that, but it is not just about material wealth, and you do get… Are
0: you the one who introduced material okay. wealth as the… Thing
1: it is, it yeah. is, it is me. So, I, I'm going to say that there's different manifestations of white privilege. Um,
0: anyone who's got a white skin,
1: oh, shit, yeah. is
0: far more privileged than me, even though I'm a fucking professor and I probably earn a lot more money than most white people.
1: Yeah, I'm just, I mean, I, I would say that white people have done their bit to ruin the understanding Uh, the popular understanding of privilege. So there was that big essay, I'm just looking it up now, White Mm -hmm. Privilege Unpacking the Invisible Knapsack by a Mm -hmm. white woman called uh, Peggy McIntosh who takes critical race theory um, and the various schools that have come up with this idea of white privilege, which is a real thing, Mm -hmm. and then applies it to feminism. But it's this very liberal understanding, like, I mean, so when you say to somebody – so, for example, I had this very interesting conversation with a woman of colour recently and she said to me, you need to stand – because I, she's a writer too, right? I get more work than she does. And, of course, because I'd be fucking idiot if I didn't uh, acknowledge that part of the reasons that I can get that kind of work is, you know, I'm a honky, right, and she's not. And so she's – Especially being a woman, a woman of colour, she's regarded as dangerous and angry. She could write the most rational, (laughs) even handed thing in the world. And I mean, you know, your black sisters are just automatically angry. That's what white people think. They're all angry. And so she, but you know, it's not true. I mean, yeah, but come on, finish. Okay. So she said to me, she said to me, you need to move aside for me. It's time for you to move aside. And I'm like, look, I. Scrape together about fifty grand in income. I can't afford to move aside for you. If I do move aside and I'm a zero hour contract worker, there is no guarantee that you'll step into my place. On neither
0: side of what the argument you're talking about there, neither side is valid.
1: Sure, but I'm not going to step aside. I'm not going to like. I'm I'm not going to imperil my survival but this, is not, she valid, this me. is not a valid. This is not a valid thing about white privilege. This is how people understand it. This is how well, people understand it. Well, that's a understand false it. understanding, you know. Well, explain that's, it to me. You know, it's like yes. It's
0: a bullshit argument okay. on both sides, from her side and your side. It was bullshit. I, why
1: was I arguing bullshit?
0: Because you should move aside.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, but then I'd starve, right? Like, well, the, the, the conditions. Who gives are, a shit? That's true, and I would. Return I mean, me like, you know, that's bigger. part of your
0: privilege. That's part of your privilege by being able to say why should I, and by not, mm. you know, you're exercising the, the privilege that you have.
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah, and, and but then again, and you
0: wouldn't starve anyway.
1: It is a form of privilege, but it is
0: privilege, it not is, a form. It is
1: privilege. What I get
0: to do is a privilege, right? Well, in the in the context, well, you know, this is you haven't explained the context properly, but it seems to me, uh, it seems to me that. Uh, that it seems to me that the people who are likely to employ and pay you and her are invariably white and they're going to choose you over her anyway. And that's part of what she's talking about, about privilege. That's part of what privilege involves.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and the other thing is if they do employ particularly women of colour in the media, then women of colour have a tiny scope of things that they can write.
0: Oh, yeah, just ask Celeste Little. She gets done over all the time in this sort of way. A-
1: and it's like, you know, like uh, women of colour have confided in me, I'm only allowed to write first-person accounts. Like I have a friend nearly completely So it. you
0: get fucked over as much as any anyone else in this sense, in this context, but nevertheless yeah. you still are in a position of privilege.
1: Okay, yeah, I'm just problematizing the concept, Gary, because I don't know what value there is in, I mean, I suppose. Like, I don't
0: think there's any value in you sort of arguing, well, you shouldn't step aside. Well, I mean, it's, well, I mean, a, it's, it's yeah, a bullshit it, argument it's that not, should have been put on you and it's a bullshit response that you are given to it. But it's you know? like,
1: well, I step aside, you know, doll, you're not going to replace me. Like, it doesn't work like that.
0: That's
1: right. Um, and, you know, you can't say to another worker, give up your job so I can have it. Like it just doesn't work. Like it's like treating me like I'm the ruling class, and that I have that's, some. That's,
0: that's being defensive on your part, I reckon.
1: Okay, right? yeah, possibly. I'm a very defensive lady, um, but but
0: unnecessarily defensive. You, should, you don't need to be defensive. It, it was a nice. You know, shouldn't be defensive. I,
1: I'm misrepresenting the. You're company. probably
0: both misrepresenting misrepresenting both. Yeah, bits I'm. Of it the it was
1: it was a good conversation, yeah. and we yeah. both you know, acquired some knowledge and a slight shift in mm-hmm. our perspectives from from having it. And I was like, well, you know.
0: It's not really what, come what and privilege join. is all about either. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I'm trying think. to get to what you understand in your academic concept oh in your a- academic understanding of how the word, because I have read some stuff about this. I am not satisfied with the, uh, yes, it exists, absolutely. There are so many things that uh, I can do. Yeah, so
0: what's your problem with it?
1: Okay, so the idea of. Privilege, for example.
0: But you said you wrote about it. What you said you understand it. What's your problem? Where's the problem lie?
1: Okay. Well, a lot of the time when people talk about things that are privileges, I think that that runs the risk of us forgetting that these things are actually rights. I believe that all all persons.
0: That's a bullshit fucking line. But go not, on. it's
1: not right. It is like so. So people. We're not
0: talking about rights. We're talking about privileges. We're talking about things that exist. Regard, I mean, okay, j- no, I wanna, just by virtue of your white skin.
1: Okay, yeah, absolutely. But I want to I say, like, you're saying things, you've
0: got rights because you're white.
1: No, I'm not saying I have rights because I'm white. That's what you're saying. No, it's not, yes, that's right. I'm a terrible racist, and you find No, no, that's what you were saying a moment
0: ago. Explain I, okay, then what's the difference so between rights when and privilege. People are then.
1: talking about privileges, right? They're mm-hmm. talking about, say, you know, I don't suffer. Racial abuse that's
0: not what or white I don't
1: are. you know, I don't like there's so many examples with Aboriginal people, for example, like Aboriginal people always ask people to get organ transplants just by way of example. Now, for me, organ transplant, right, should not be when we say that I have white privilege, right, which I do, which I absolutely do, real thing that exists. These are not – so to think of things as privileges you underscores the know, idea that they are got, not basic co- human rights. you got the fucking
0: wrong idea about what privilege is in the context of white privilege. These are things that you are the beneficiary yes, of, of fucking operation. colonialism and things that yeah. you've got no control over, you never had any control over, but you nevertheless benefit yeah. from – the white control of everything in this country—you unwittingly benefit from the white occupation, the white dispossession mm. of Aboriginal people. It's got nothing to do with you. You can get a fucking organ transplant or not. It's got to do with privileges that exist that you don't even are not even conscious okay. of. All right, all right. that's what white privilege I'm, is all about—not rights okay. or anything like that. So, I,
1: so this is a both, both. This is a psychological and material.
0: We're talking about a material.
1: Yep. Okay. So this is chiefly a material benefit.
0: Primarily, I would have thought
1: that exists
0: because you're white. Because you've got a white skin.
1: Yeah. And these things are dependent on there being a dispossessed people who were stolen from. It's got.
0: But the the counter to it is not to go and take some pills and become black. The counter to it is is to be aware. Of the privileges that you unwittingly are the beneficiary of, Mm. which is what most white Australians have got no concept of. You're talking about white privilege, and they go, "But I'm not privileged." But they are. Just Mm. even if you're the fucking poorest white person in society, you are the beneficiary of privileges and opportunities mm. that are denied any person who's got a skin a little bit darker than yours. Okay. That's the nature All of this society. All I'm
1: trying to say, though, is yes. that is that talking about these things as, and I'm not a complete dummy, so I'm aware that the material wealth or the relative material wealth that I've enjoyed, that my parents enjoyed, is very much on this land, extracted from the theft, the ongoing genocide. I'm talking
0: about material wealth.
1: I've, Okay, so it's not about material wealth. Well, it's, it's
0: materials is one of a multitude of of opportunities. Okay, but some that of the you've things got that, that we're talking other people about, and I'm
1: just trying to get you to define what you understand by the idea of white privilege. I don't deny that it exists. I want you're to understand that you're white. You that. can do
0: a lot of fucking things in this society that I can't, I even though you're a woman. That. You know, even though I'm a man and I can do. Stuff, I know that. Yeah. So.
1: I know that. I mean, I can you have, understand that? I can instrumentalize the law against you in a fucking second, right? Mm. You know, I mean, you, you get these white imperial fucking feminists talking about no woman ever tells oh, yeah. a fib about violation. Well, there's yeah. a fucking long oh, history yeah. in this nation of white but women even being invented I don't to understand lie. Why
0: you're being so defensive?
1: Because I'm very interested in this idea. I'm probably because I'm white, right? Like, no. I think
0: what you need to do is go go and read the current literature on white privilege, which okay, it doesn't I, sound as though you have.
1: All right, maybe I haven't read it as much as I ought to. I'll get a reading list from you. And, and I'll when, you're, when you've
0: when you read that, then we can have this discussion.
1: All right, I appreciate that, but I also appreciate the way that privilege is discussed in larger, more popular groups, right? Fuck
0: that, that. We're what talking here, me and you. That. We
1: don't all go to university. Check your academic No, no, we're privilege. fucking,
0: wait, me and you are talking. You want to talk? To them about the way in which they discuss it, go and talk to them. Don't I talk to me. I think the
1: idea of privilege may have some counter-revolutionary tendencies is what I think. Which because, I think is bullshit. Okay. When I think, right, that you say, well, you know, you have this privilege, you have the privilege of, of – Why are
0: you so defensive about it? Tell me oh, why.
1: Because I'm going to tell you. I'm not sorry? defensive about it. Say again. <laughs> I'm not defensive about it, Professor. You are. You're knackers I knackers that's a
0: that's I know. That's a bullshit thing I just said. I'm sorry. No no, 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 no,
1: no, no, that's fine, that's fine. I mean, look, no, I don't I, mind, I, I've never pretended with you. Like, we've been kind of, like, we're friends, right? Of course.
0: We are, folks, believe it or not.
1: <laughs> we have a relationship based on mutual <laughs> hatred.
0: That's right. I mean, um, no, that's not
1: true. I've never, ever once tried to deny to you that, like, I mean, of course I've got filaments of racism inside me. Yes, because but that's all not what
0: this have. is about.
1: I know. And, of course, I have enjoyed hey a lack of shit in my life because of the fucking colour of my skin and my culture. Having said all of that, right, yes. when the word, whether you choose to acknowledge it or not, Professor Gary Foley of history, uh, when on. the concept of privilege becomes a, one that is popularly <laughs> traded and it becomes understood, right, and you say that, oh, well, you know, check your privilege and what people may be referring to is actually just having a life that is relatively problem free, right? No, and when no, you consider, no,
0: it's because you've got a white skin, and that that gives you rights and privileges in this society that is denied. I others. know.
1: All I'm saying is when you conceive of some of the things as a privilege, right? And it is a privilege, oh, yeah. But in a better world, and you and I are probably a- agreed that we must have. Some optimism of the fucking spirit. We're not talking
0: about the better world. we're talking about the here and now.
1: Okay. If we think of having a roof over your head as a privilege by way of example, that is not good because if you believe Try
0: and tell that to the people who live on the fucking riverbank in a tin shack.
1: I know, but it shouldn't be. A I don't give a fuck whether it should is be or my not. It point. is
0: privilege. You are privileged. It
1: is privilege in this world. Yes. And this world. We're not world, talking about
0: a future world or another world. We're talking about right. here and well, now. what
1: I think that the overuse, and if you <laughs> read like, you know, and I will, you know, I, I will get a read. I'll list. give you some text. I, I will. But, you know, you read some of the very influential texts about the concept of privilege, such as the the Macintosh piece written in the 1980s. Are we
0: talking about the white, white privilege yes. or privilege?
1: Oh, she was. She was talking about white privilege. It's called um, unpacking my knapsack. One day, apparently, she realised, and she writes this very, in my opinion, liberal thing where you know, yet another white liberal is saying, "I'm so privileged, and I finally acknowledge it." Well, fucking great. But what next, motherfucker? Is this changing your idea about what should not be a privilege? And when that language is used, and it is now it's been adopted from black scholars, right? So when this language is used, the idea of a privilege becomes almost encoded in your idea of future possibilities because no. everybody should be allowed no. to have privileges no. over other people no. regardless no. of the colour of their skin. No. And if that no. is their aim, no. yes, Gary, no. the most no. influential text, no. I know you no. know a lot more about no. me. No, no. Than me.
0: No. <sighs> We shall return to this topic in our next podcast. Please. All right, it would be great too.
1: Uh, <laughs> how long have we been talking? I don't
0: know. God knows.
1: I don't feel that I've articulated uh, what, what I mean. Do you understand yes, so I me at all, or are you being obtuse? Right. So, but this has been a very
0: interesting. Okay. Yarn. So,
1: so be- <laughs> there are some there are some things, and I will read more. So, there are some, as I understand it, from my friend Shakira, and from reading just a little of the academic literature yeah. about what privilege, there are some very good, some very useful accounts. And I would say that by no means am I negating the the reality of it. I know. But in saying privilege continually, and this is used in popular spheres now by liberal anti-racists, white liberal anti-racists, those sorts of people who will champion an ill-defined concept, for example, like diversity. But so you an, can do I'm this. I'm not a
0: liberal white academic. I know,
1: I know. But you can do this sort of like public striptease and admit I have finally come to terms with my privilege. No, it's not about I that. I now acknowledge it. It's and not about that. Yeah, I know, but there's all these individual theatrical incidents yeah, yeah, of people but that's believing. That's what I'm talking about. And then so Not only does that, I think, let white people off the hook because I've acknowledged my privilege. Absolutely not. What next? And you are saying to me that once people acknowledge their privilege, then they are free to do such and such. No, once they're aware of their privilege, they
0: begin the process of going through the fucking understanding. They
1: don't. They just keep saying sorry. That's it. And then they don't change a fucking thing. No, no, that's not true. Fucking fair. I don't give
0: a fuck about reading anything, I observe (laughs) my (laughs) students who've done the opposite of what you're saying which you uh, I said so ca- it's I, bullshit I,
1: yeah you you know i don't know if I've got a lived experience right.
0: you're talking fucking theoretical bullshit
1: oh my god who has da, 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 da. been who has <laughs> who has been footnoting his every comment for the last 20 minutes and telling me i don't know because i haven't read the right rarefied texts you know i mean you're you know That's right. offering recourse to y- y- your information that is only available to the powerful elite.
0: Oh, bullshit. And you're saying, like I and see, now, of, There's probably some in that bookshelf behind you there. I and
1: Yes, I've got my, my with Said and stuff. <laughs> These are just the books. I've got them. You get too many books. I keep them electronically now. This is just a small collection. Yeah, they're
0: they're um, redundant now, aren't
1: they? You? You, they are.
0: Which is one of the really sad things about the future. I will do.
1: Would you come back and say three months or so? I will do the reading. Oh, I oh, do suspect.
0: I'll recommend some stuff, and then, and and we can have a really good. I do suspect argument. You may have become
1: it. a post-materialist and <laughs> forgotten your land rights origins, and you're now all about the idea and people checking. I'm their a privilege. fucking bullshit
0: professor academic. There are yeah. many,
1: many people who acknowledge. And I'll be.
0: You've got to do this uh, future discussion within the next five years, or I'll be dead.
1: Yeah. Hey. Why don't you, I won't give out Gary Foley's email address, but email me, helen at badhostess.com. He's yes. always threatening to die in the next five minutes. Well, that's um, right. As he's doing that, you know, I take him at his word and I say, well, let me write, uh, not a biography, you know, I mean, you, definitely you should have a, a black biographer, but let me write down a popular record of your thought
0: I before you I...
1: cark it because I... if you don't let <laughs> someone do that, you're not going to do it <laughs> yourself. I know because I speak to your wife. So I let think, me do it. Send me if you would like a record I, you know, written in a popular, accessible way of Gary Foley's thought and let how it evolved. Say no, I'm going to use my white privilege.
0: <laughs> I think I think that of all of the all of the crazy friends of mine who I would probably like to to write my posthumous uh, biography. I think that Helen is up there at the top of the yeah, list. Yeah, but just
1: let me do like just let me do like a popular account. Of what you think, what the origins of your thought are. I don't are. even
0: know myself what I think. Yeah, it changes every day, more, and you know? that's
1: good. I mean, you're a scholar yeah. and you're, you're a person like that who changes, you know, and you're obviously going through some kind of like postmodern turn at the moment. We'll have to get you back on track. <laughs> Better see you at the Marxism conference this year. you doing a talk? What's that? Are you doing a talk at Marxism? No, 2019?
0: I, I said I wouldn't this year. Yeah. I, I okay, don't know. Well, I may still channel mine. I, yeah, Gary's on strike I enjoy, from Marxism. I enjoy talking at them gigs. Uh,
1: I, I'm not. If you have a uh, free uh, Jesus died weekend, uh, Gary, uh, he usually pops his head in at Marxism, don't you? Even if at where? At Marxism. You usually pop your head in.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah, you heckled me throughout my well, talk.
0: They, they, the irony of all of that is that... Uh, 40 years ago, uh, that particular persuasion of the left wing lot were my enemies. And one of the things I can laugh about these days with the tribal elders of uh, that crew, uh, yeah. Sandra Bloodworth and Mick Armstrong, we laugh about how we used to hate each other. Somehow or other, um, they, they've turned out to be the last standing of what I regard as something close to the left. So, you know.
1: Well, perhaps you might. Think about coming to my talk? Which oh, I will. I'm doing I'm doing stuff about how white women are evil intrinsically. And I speak from lived experience.
0: And why don't you incorporate into that talk a bit about white privilege?
1: Because I'm not convinced of the concept <laughs> and I'm not convinced of its usefulness. And as you'll find unsurprisingly in Marxist circles there's a lot of debate about I construing as what should be basic human rights. As I, privileges is counter revolutionary.
0: I love you, my sister. You're wonderful, and oh, I. You know, I and I look forward to our you. next uh, engagement, our next um, yarn, um, our next podcast.
1: Thank you. I I, I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. And if you want to uh, write to Gary, uh, you could try writing to me, and I yeah. will try communicating it to. Yeah, him. He's a very to, busy. Write man. to Helen.
0: Don't write to me, please. Yeah, and go she'll pass it on. It's
1: fucking busy and important. Whereas I, well, I'm going through an extended nervous breakdown. A lot of time on my Aren't hands. We both. <laughs> uh, well, I'm, again, exercising my white privilege and having one very theatrically. <laughs> Helen at badhostess.com. Um, if you can be asked, pop along to patreon.com forward slash Helen so I can make sure that I can drag people like Gary round to my house, feed them a steak, buy a manoeuvre. And it was a good steak. It was.
0: And, you know, it's, a, it's one of the rare times an Aboriginal person got a steak in their own land. <laughs> You've been listening to Knackers and the Vag.